Hello and welcome to Fighting Tengu. I'm Stephen Milton. And I'm Batman O'Brien. This podcast explores how to deal with the daily difficulties of life and supporting our mental health using techniques, strategies and life lessons of our martial arts. Join us on this quest as we speak openly about our own challenges and adversities and talk to others about how practicing martial arts has helped reframe our lives in a more positive and meaningful way. Entering and exiting, on ramps and off ramps. That's it, baby. Okay. Well, you fire away. Tell okay. Me. Um, so this is the idea I had for the first real episode was, you know, because we're entering into this kind of podcast space. And in the traditional martial arts that I practice, there is this concept of entering, which is jumon, which means opening the gate. So you enter into a dojo, you enter into a tradition, you enter into the wonderful world and all of these teachings. But on a smaller, more practical level, we have specific requirements on how you enter the dojo, the training hall, where you learn to practice uh, and, and perform these martial arts. Because if you bring your anger and your stress and your frustration from the guy who yelled at you in that meeting or the person that cut you off in traffic or the kid who drew crayon all over your walls and you bring that into a space where you are actively learning to fight with weapons or unarmed against a human being that could be incredibly dangerous so in the martial arts we developed and different ryu different schools develop different methods of doing this, but they all have it. That we have this way of entering into a training space that we call a dojo in order to leave that world of stress and frustration and anger and panic and enter into this safe space, essentially, where we get to engage in controlled violence. And then... We have a way of exiting from that because if you take the stuff that you learned in the dojo into the outside world, you're going to be living in a prison cell real soon. So you need a way to separate your time in the dojo from the real world outside. So we have exiting strategies and these are encoded in different types of rituals that we practice. So what I thought would be really useful is given that how so many people exist in this kind of gray malaise where, you know, in work they're thinking about their family or their social life. And when they're with their family, they're thinking about their work. And when people are working from home more than most now, um, more often now, there is no separation between our work and our home life. And so people are eroding these boundaries. They're responding to work emails when they're in bed at 11 in the evening. They're you know, working in the same environment that they should be resting and relaxing in. And it's all become very blurred. And I want to help people establish boundaries that will make them more productive in what they do and also create an environment that separates their work from their home life. But you can apply these strategies, not just to the concept of work and home life, but you can apply this strategy to 
everything. Are you going to go see a particular friend set? You need to be in the right mind frame. Are you going to go to head to the gym? You need to be in the right mind frame. Are you leaving the gym and getting back to the office? You need to be in the right mind frame. Are you picking up your kids after doing three hours of martial arts training? You need to be in a different mind frame. So you can apply this concept of on-ramps and off-ramps of entering and exiting in many, many different ways. And I'm going to give you hopefully a couple of examples and some techniques on how you can do that. Excellent. Uh, it immediately makes me think of, I, I don't watch the news. I, I watch maybe once a week. Mm. Um, and I, I have a very specific reason for that. And that is that it, it can emotionally overwhelm me very quickly. Yeah. I'm a heart-based person. I'm an em empath. Mm. Watching a ton of news can, can affect me quite, Absolutely. quite, uh, quite badly. And I remember a psychologist friend of mine who uh, would tell his clients, like, well, what, what are you doing watching four hours of news every day? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because you're then bringing this into this space. Yep. And instead of talking about how you feel or going any deeper, what you're actually doing is, is freaking out and having a, a neurotic event over something that happened in the news. Absolutely. Um, and, and I did find that, that kind of bit validating, like, you know, mm. that we do have to have boundaries, particularly now because of the information the amount of information that we receive mm. on a daily basis from everywhere. Uh, these ideas of boundaries. And I don't, there's a part of me that's like, ah, oh, no, come on, that's work. Putting boundaries in place is so much work. You know, <laughs> I, I'm a bit lazy like that. You know what I mean? But I do have my boundaries. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also want other people to do them for me. So, sure. so I do get what you're saying. Like going into the dojo, you're chatting to people and then someone just goes, Sirettes. Yep. And then you're, you're, you're in. Absolutely. And it's a different headspace, a different state. And then you, you finish up and you mm -hmm. say thank you. Mm -hmm. And then you have a chat to the guy yeah. beside you. And yeah, everyone yeah. else, everyone's friendly. And, and, and then and go get lunch. Again. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. But let's uh, make it accessible for me, for the absolutely. lazy for yes. the lazy humans. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not that people are lazy. It's just we've a lot on in our lives. And it is very, very overwhelming and learning a new big complicated thing. No, no, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. No one has time for that. You don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Not going to happen. So I'll explain how I first learned this technique through the dojo. And then I'll give you a couple of really simple ideas that are fun to integrate into your own life. So in the dojo, right, you walk in, and you have to step with a particular foot because you don't want to offend the, the spiritual gods of the dojo. But we don't have time for that. It's the left foot. But everyone gets that wrong. That's not important. Now, um, when you enter the dojo, so for instance, you're doing swordsmanship, right? We'll take the sword, we'll pass it across to the other hand, we'll bow to the central point of the dojo, then we'll sit down, we'll bow to the sword, and we're doing all of these complicated ritualistic movements in order to give us time to disassociate from the real world outside of the dojo into the real world inside the dojo. And then when we've done our practice, we reverse all of that. So we take off the sword, we bow to the sword again, we bow to everybody else, we bow to the shrine in the dojo, and now we can all go and have lunch. So that is called reho, or etiquette, that is associated with saho, or ritual respect. And it is a very, very clean break between reality and what you do in the dojo and what you do in the dojo and your life outside of it. So how do you apply that to your life outside in the real world? Real simple, music. 
Okay? Okay. Okay. Follow me on this one. It's a bit of a weird tangent. Okay, go for it. But the principle remains. So if you watch a sports team, I don't know what sports are. If you watch a sports team, they have they have um, entrance music, right? So you know the team comes on and they get their anthem, right? Uh, the All Blacks do the haka. That's that's cool, um, but it's it's psychologically ramping them up for the event they're about to engage in. And then you have music when you come off the pitch as well. I think I believe in sports. Who knows? But I do know that this happens in wrestling. Or boxing. Or boxing. Yes. That's, or that's, MMA. Let's stick to stuff we know. Stuff we know. Okay. Other sports that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. So you have your entrance music, right? So you, you um, the, you know, the glass breaks and Stone Cold Steve Austin comes. Oh my God, I'm really dating myself, am I? So Stone Cold Steve Austin comes down the ramp. Who's it now? Roman Reigns? I don't know wrestling. I know wrestling from my youth, but they have entrance music, right? Uh, so they have this piece of music that lasts three to five minutes that psychologically revs them up and gets them in the mindset. So when I used to work in uh, sports um, equipment management, uh, before I would go into work, I would listen to a particular track. Now, I'm going to be really, really embarrassing, and I'm going to tell you what that track was. Go for it. It was Shawn Michaels... Heartbreak Kid, I'm Just a Sexy Boy entrance music. Okay. I'm really dating myself now. Okay. So I would literally walk in. To, I was managing a department in Arnott's and I'd literally open the door and I'd do the spin and I'd do the full entrance thing and I'd do the double arm chuck up and everything. Oh, it was great. And people would be like, what the hell is wrong with him? And I'm just like, I'm just a sexy boy, sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. We're going to have to cut all of that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it was, it was great because it got me in the right mindset to do my job. And then when I was done with the day, bang on the headphones and I start listening to my outro music. Um, and I think that particular time I was listening to a song called Blue, which was from the Cowboy Bebop animated series. Um, and, and that was awesome. And that would be my celebration. I did my job music. So what I want you to do is I want you to pick a piece of music that you can listen to in the car, that you can listen to uh, before you go into the office, that you can listen to on the way out of the office, that you can, if you're working from home, you listen to this music before you step into the room you are working in. And then you listen to this music as you step out of the room that you are working in. And this is going to create a divide, a break in the day. It is no different to the intro and outro credits of your favorite TV show or a movie. There is that opening theme music, exiting music. And you can do this with your own life to create a fun, easy, simple way of creating these on-ramps and off-ramps to prepare you for the work, to disengage you from the work. Whatever that work may be, job, family, career, social relationships, exercise, doesn't matter. You can use that very, very simple thing, just music, and getting into the habit of that ritual to signify the beginning and the end of that particular experience. Mm. Yeah. No, that sounds very good. Is, and, that, is that easy enough? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very easy. Uh, and I, I would say that, again, going back to what I said about earlier about the psychologist telling mm-hmm. his client 
one of the things that that happened, he, he was explaining, he wasn't giving me specifics, but he was just explaining that it was very hard for the client to let go mm. of the concept that I, I can't, I don't have to watch the news mm. because as an adult, we're expected to watch the news. So there's layers of expectation uh, sometimes, you know, and, and an, another example of that is the workman who is expected to bring their work home or actually even yeah. better nowadays you have a case where you're yeah you're you're working from home mm-hmm. and and that these are these are there's no clear line you know i get well, up in Ireland, breakfast, we have the right to disconnect that's important we have the right to disconnect that we had to bring in a law for that what is that now what are you talking oh yeah about? Yeah, yeah 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 that's okay. a thing that okay. exists yeah, t- tell me about um, this go on so basically exactly what you're saying there Stephen, mm. is is completely correct um that people were then starting to expect it to just constantly be available in work uh but we have in ireland passed law that we have the right to disconnect so at the end of our working day we can turn off our phone and you cannot contact us yeah um, and we might look at later episodes in some of those specific strategies that I have for my patients on how to achieve that in your own life, setting up autoresponders, setting up voicemails, setting up text alerts, um, and how to structure and manage those interrupts and disconnect from your workflow. Mm. Um, because again, they're all present in the strategies that I learned in the martial arts and you can apply that through email, which is pretty cool. Um, another question, uh, because you are one of the most qualified judoka mm. uh, and uh, you're, you're an, a teacher of Iaido, mm-hmm. uh, sensei, um, do you find, can you see sometimes uh, uh, some of the students come into the class and they can't quite let the day go? Do you ever see that? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. And do you ever address it with people? Of course. Do you? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah all the time. Interesting. Um, so... There's always that preamble chat. I always get to the dojo early, uh, except on a Saturday when I make John teach the class. Yeah. Um, But uh, on a Monday, I get to the dojo early so that when people are coming in, I can see the state that they're coming in in. Yeah. And if they're flustered, I'll just go, how is work? What's going on? What's going on with the family? And I just check in with them Mm. because their mental health is very, very important for the outcome of the class. Mm. their mental equilibrium is very important for the outcome of the class. And this is how my sensei taught me. Um, And what's really, really cool, particularly about Iaido, and to a lesser extent Yodo, but very much in Iaido, is you can choose a kata that calibrates to the emotional level of your student. Okay. Which is awesome. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember distinctly, I came in in a foul mood to the dojo. My teacher, Nick Johnson, uh, in Kensakai, he was just like, oh, you're a bit spiky today. He won't like me doing that accent, but that's exactly how he talks. Um, and and he was just like, you're very spiky today. And he just goes, we're going to do Asian Ryu. And I was like, okay, fine. I don't know what Asian Ryu is, but it was perfect. Because Asian Ryu is this very close-in, grappling, nasty, spiky. And I was like, this feels emotionally, this is great. This is exactly what I needed. And it's wonderful. Um, and so when I see my students, I'm able to select the kata that will help them balance out what they're currently emotionally experiencing. 
Wow. And there's a whole thing on this within um, Gyoho or five element theory yeah. that we see in Eastern medicine, but also in martial arts strategy. But that's a complicated topic that we might for, leave for another, another podcast. day. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is, we're still going to go on because as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the things I could ask you, <laughs> all the things we could talk about, but these are actually podcasts for another these are day. All, they're we're all things for another day. Entrance and exit. Exactly. And um, I mean, when you brought that up before, when we were having that conversation, it did dawn on me. I mean, I, I, the way I would have originally looked at you know, bowing and etiquette and all the rest is, mm -hmm. you know, it's a part of the, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, a Japanese thing. It's, I'm going to do it this way. That's it because it's Japanese. So uh, to get an insight into why we do it, mm -hmm. and I would, and once we've talked about it, I do understand it because, you know, uh, I have three kids, mm -hmm. three, three wonderful, beautiful daughters, uh, one of whom my middle daughter is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so I'm quite conscious of overload. I'm quite conscious of meltdown. I'm quite conscious of sensory overloads. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've become more conscious of my own sensory overload because of my daughter and the, um, and her autism. Absolutely. So it's very interesting. But my feeling when, when I walk into the dojo and I bow, um, Originally, I suppose, was, oh, this is exciting. Oh, I get to play a Japanese guy. Oh, I'm being a samurai. Uh, but now, but now, actually, uh, what I get out of it is, is that sense of being present, mm -hmm. that sense of just being here. I don't, there's, the phone is off. I don't have to break my concentration for anything. Yep. And breaking concentration, actually, is a big deal because that's something I struggle with. Again, things can get so wild that your concentration get broken very very easily mm. and actually can become a pattern. And, and in a way, a lot of us have the pattern oh, yeah. of, of breaking concentration, of breaking um, our attention span uh, and not being able to bring it back, getting frustrated maybe and then going off and looking at our phone for 50 minutes to, to sort of try and regulate uh, because we're annoyed at ourselves because I can't do my essay because I got distracted because... <laughs> So actually, yeah, I think maybe that is a very good uh, idea of, of actually saying consciously, I'm going to have an, a start point mm -hmm. and I'm going to have an end point. Mm -hmm. And in between that, I am not going to be distracted from what I'm doing. Absolutely. If you can make it work, great. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes there are those disconnects. Sometimes and there are those emergencies. Do you have, I, I remember someone saying that, you know, when you're, when you're focused on something, uh, if you get interrupted, it takes 22 minutes to get back to where you were. Yep. Do you have any, uh, any ways, strategies? Yeah. Any, any little, any hacks? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's again, I, I take it from, uh, an awful lot of Japanese culture. Uh, they have this wonderful thing called naming and knowing. And this is great for not just emotional regulation, but it's great for efficiency when you experience a disconnect like that. So when something comes along and interrupts what your work is, right? And you're just like, okay, I need to put down my pen. I need to deal with this situation. I need to take off the headphones. I need to, whatever that is. What you do is you name exactly what it is that you're doing. I am placing my pen down on the right-hand side of my desk. I have finished the project on page 248. And you literally say it, and you name it, and you know it. You point at it and just go, there's my pen on the right-hand side of my desk. Great. Now, you can go off and you can deal with whatever crisis has interrupted you. And when you come back, 
you can, instead of going, oh, where did I leave off? Where did my, ah, and being overwhelmed by that, you can just go, my pen is on the right-hand side of my desk. And you can pick it up. And like you finished on page 248. And you name it, and therefore you know it. And they use this in um, Japanese train companies. Um, and it's a very weird thing uh, when you first see it. The, the, the conductor of the train, right, the driver of the train, he'll lean out the window and he'll start pointing at random things, right? And you're like, what on earth is he doing? And what he's saying is, I see that the gate is closed. I see that the ramp has been removed. I see there are no people waiting in the area that would be unsafe for them to be in. And he names it and therefore he knows it and it increases efficiency and it increases safety. And this just momentary awareness and an application of awareness is very, very useful in reducing the time of wasted through that type of disconnect. Because then you know exactly where you are and you're not wasting time getting back into the flow. Um, so I would name it and I would know it and practice a little bit of awareness, which we call in Japanese martial arts, Sanjin. Another thing that, that strikes me is that in competitions mm. and in gradings, you are in the dojo, you're kind of chatting. There's a lot of uh, empty time where people are setting up and things like that. And then you're called and then yep. that's it. You're you gotta on. Be on. You're on, you know, and that's uh, that's something that I, I, I certainly play at being on, but sometimes <laughs> I'm not on. And that, that could that has some somewhat to do with being sick. Um, I have an, a long-term illness like mm -hmm. yourself. Uh, I, I have uh, necrotizing pancreatitis. So my energy levels are about 50%. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I am not feeling it. Yep. And the time to not not feel it is when you've just, you're going to have a grading. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a spiral that, that could very easily get out of control where your brain is going, oh, you're not going to do it. You're not mm -hmm. going to make it. It's because you should just put your hand up, walk out, ask them for a break or whatever mm. just and i've done a few gradings and um successfully I'm, I successfully yes yeah, successfully i'm going for another grading now in um march i think i'm going for nidan excellent so fingers crossed and physically because those gradings are at the end of a seminar mm -hmm. physically it gets much tougher for me and yep. mentally it gets much tougher for me because i have to physically will myself mm -hmm. to get through things at times so you know switching on switching off when you don't have a physical object in front of you and uh, your mental state, your, your Zan Shin. Yeah. Yeah. Could we talk a little bit more about Zan Shin, about your, your interpretation of Zan Shin, about your, your mm. experience, particularly your experience of Zan Shin. And again, you, you have MS. You're, yeah. you're still going <laughs> for competitions. You were just recently at the EIDO uh, champ European Championships yeah, yeah, in yeah. Germany. Yeah. And prior to that, you were in uh, the, the Jodo Championships yep in uh, switzerland yeah yeah and physically and boy, how, how did that go, how did that go for you <laughs> yeah so uh the the first day of the european jodo championships and for those that don't know jodo is the art of taking a four-foot broomstick and uh fighting and winning against a guy with a three-foot sword it is awesome you should all go do it because everyone should know how to use a broomstick yeah um, it's a very practical weapon very and teaches you a lot about life and yourself, uh, which is kind of the point of this podcast. But I was at the European Jodo Championships, and the first day of the competition, I was having a bit of an MS episode, uh, where I was 
dead to the world. The battery was flat. I was practically unconscious. Um, and I spent a lot of time on the floor just kind of sleeping uh, or dozing. And they'd, they'd get me and they'd wheel me to like, you know, where I was meant to be and just go, go fight over there. And I'd be like, okay, go do these kind of, okay. And then I'd do them. But exactly as Stephen was saying, I wasn't feeling very well. I, my energy levels were non-existent. I was confused. I was just, oh, I just wanted to go to sleep. How on earth did I perform as well as I performed on that Shi'i Joe, on that competition arena? Zanshin is an element of awareness of your surroundings, of yourself. And an application of Zanshin is being aware that you're not in your best fighting form, that you're not at 100%. But here's the reality. No one's going to be at 100% on their grading. No one's going to be at 100% because they're dealing with nerves. They're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with the pressure of competition. They're dealing with the pressure of the panel grading them. They're dealing with the fact that they've just done a seminar for the last eight hours. Everyone is going to be feeling some level of fatigue and damage and nerves and imposter syndrome and anxiety. Um, a lot of them are going to have digestive complaints as a result of that. You don't want to go near a bathroom during the European Championships of any sport. Um, it's it's a that's the real dangerous environment okay, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's a natural part of competition. Mm. And you can talk to any athlete, be it, you know, a, a hobby marathon runner or an Olympic athlete, and they're all going to express some form of anxiety. They're all going to express some form of energy disruption, digestive disruption. That is a part of it. So our experience isn't so much different, really, when it comes down to it. Now, the fatigue you experience with MS is incredibly debilitating, but you've got to be on. The fatigue that you experience with necrotic pancreatitis is incredibly debilitating, but you've got to be on and you don't have a choice. So how do you deal with that? Right. This is super embarrassing and you're all going to think I'm crazy, but it's the truth. When I was a child, there was... <laughs> a TV show called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Um, and it has recent, recently been remaked in, in 2002 by Mike Young Productions. There's a new Netflix series of He-Man now out. There's revelations coming out. Um, and He-Man is a, a skinny boy, Prince Adam, young, uh, wimpy. And he raises aloft his magic sword and says, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And I took that as gospel as a child. That was a mantra I would repeat. A keyword activation sequence if you want to get into more behavioral psychology and modern stuff. And so when I was stumbling to the Shi'i Joe, to the competition area, half asleep, I called down the lightning. I called down the power of Grayskull. I raised my hand above my head and in my mind said, 
by the power of Grayskull, I have the power! And the mic goes boom. And literally, even as I'm saying that now, I can feel that, you know, the adrenaline coursing through my body. I can feel my energy level raise. I can feel that power. I can feel that strength. And then I take that and boom, I am on. And then when I'm off the floor, I let the power return. And now, do I think I'm actually being struck by the magical power of Grayskull? Do I actually think lightning's coming down from the heavens? I'm going to tell you no, but you can't see what's in my head. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that's the thing. And what I use is essentially a keyword sequence. Other times, uh, I will literally play in my head some of that motivational music that I've been listening to. Yeah. So there are particular tracks that just immediately rev me up Mm. and I'll just, you know, I'll just literally in my head, start playing Rocky montage music. Mm. I cannot be tired. If there's Rocky montage music playing, I can't do it. If if Stan Bush hits, I am training and I am training hard. Um, And I don't need to listen to the actual music Mm. to hear it in Mm. my head. Now, what's interesting is, during the EICs, the European EIDO Championships that I was just at, I saw the bronze and silver medalists listening to music on their headphones okay. before they went out and won the competition. Okay, very good. So it comes back to those on-ramps and off-ramps. Mm, mm. It comes back to those triggers you set up for yourself to do the extraordinary. Yeah. It can be a mantra, it can be a simple phrase, it can be a piece of music, it can be a feeling yeah. that you have. Yeah. And your awareness of that, mm. calling to that, that's how you do it. Or yeah. at least that's how I do that's it. That's how you do it. And how I do it, uh, I, I do two things. One, uh, Frank Herbert's June. Fear oh my God, fear. Is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings fear total the oblivion. Death. Yeah. So that's my mantra. Oh, Every time you're, it, it is the best. It's the best. It really is. It and really science is. fiction in general, like it's such a, a free zone for creativity yeah. that that there's a lot of things in it. Like I mean, Star Wars. Come on, uh, there's a lot of things in it that actually is are, are life teachers. Oh yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So fear is the mind killer. And the other thing is something I learned from Daijiryu, which is is uh, digging my toes in. So pushing down uh, on the earth with my with my toes mm-hmm. doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, soil it'll be you know on the dojo floor or mm-hmm. whatever but as i do that i have a sort of a, a feeling because as i push my toes down my body connects my my hips kind of align a bit more and you know my head sort of extends out mm-hmm. and and i breathe in and energy comes up through my feet into my body and even though i might be sort of feeling the fatigue still I am rejuvenated by that whole practice just by digging the toes in. It starts a kind of a, a chain yeah. reaction. The, obviously, it, we're talking about years of training behind that because that's one of the fundamentals of dietary use is to connect with the toes. But and that's a physical trigger that's producing yeah. a chemical response. Yes, exactly. Now, we teach the same thing to police and military. Right. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Um, so we help them get into a very calm state using mindfulness techniques, meditation techniques, breathing techniques. And then we teach them to squeeze their little finger and the ring finger. And the reason we teach them to do that is because that is the neurological reflex that occurs just before you fire a gun. Okay. So we teach them 
to connect that squeeze, that feeling to a sense of calmness that hopefully will allow them to de-escalate a situation rather than escalate a situation towards violence. And if that type of violence is required, they can do so calmly and safely. Mm. Um, and this is a really, really useful neurological anchoring technique. And that's exactly what you're doing in Daito Ryu. Mm. So again, it's, it's that traditional martial art technique completely aligning with what we understand through modern behavioral science. Yeah. That's awesome. But we're still in the entrance and exit. It's really interesting that like we're not, you know, we're not going into other aspects of martial arts. These are all how we switch on, how we switch off. And that's a funny one as well. Like when you walk off, when you see players walking off after losing a match or a fighter, how do they switch off? Like, is it listening to music? Is it being on their own for a while, Mm -hmm. breathing through us or, you know, having a cry or whatever? Like, do you know what I mean? There's there's all these very natural human... um, not rituals, but necessary blocks to get on with your life or to, yeah. to process something. You've lost a match. Yep. How do you process that? Um, as someone who's lost more than my fair share of matches in my life, I have a very, I, I, that's a somewhat unfair question for me to answer because I don't get affected by that the way many other athletes would be because I already won. Um, I have this weird thing in my head where, uh, I don't get particularly nervous with competition. Mm. Um, so because I don't care what the judges think, I don't care how the match goes. That is look at the draw against who I'm fighting. Um, what I care about is, did I do my performance to the best of my ability and, I'm always happy coming off the floor, knowing that I just did it, knowing that I accepted that challenge and I came off and that was it. doesn't matter what the outcome is. I did it. That's the thing. I did it. Uh, I don't care what flags I get. I don't care what medals I get. Um, I accepted the challenge and I performed and I did it. And that's enough. Um, now I have friends who are incredibly competitive and they come off the floor and they are devastated with a loss, particularly if it's a loss, they feel they could have avoided. You know, I've, I've talked with, with an awful lot of champions and medal winners, and there is a consistent thing about the curse of silver. Uh, cause the bronze medalist is just delighted. I'm a bronze medalist, uh, <laughs> twice over an international competition. I'm delighted cause I've got, yay, I, I got something. That's nice. <laughs> cool. But I wasn't close enough to get gold. So I don't feel too bad about it. Mm. Whereas the guy in silver or the girl in silver, um, is just like, oh, I could have had the gold. <laughs> and that, that's, that stings and that's devastating. Um, and unfortunately particularly with athletes, and I work with an awful lot of athletes, there are what I would term a lot of maladaptive coping mechanisms that they use to deal with that type of defeat, to deal with that type of stress. And that often involves alcohol, drugs, food. uh, And what you're trying to do is you're trying to fill an emotional problem with a physical or chemical solution. And that rarely works. It might work for a time. 
uh, it's certainly filling a need, but it's not necessarily the best way of dealing with that. So, um, again, we're talking about exiting a competition. We're talking about exiting from a realm of achievement. And it can be more than just a competition. This could be you didn't get the promotion that you wanted. You didn't get the job that you wanted. You, the interview didn't go well. Um, how do you decompress from that? And the first and most effective thing I have ever found, and I recommend this time and time again to my patients, and it sounds absurdly simple, is breathing. Just breathe. Three minutes of deep breathing will regulate your vagus nerve, will regulate your heart rate, will de-escalate the adrenaline, and it will help bring you back to center. Mm -hmm. And finding center, as you know, is a big part of the martial arts that we practice. Yeah. So, and just like in those martial arts, we achieve that through breath work. So, I would highly recommend two breathing techniques. And again, these are techniques that are taught in the martial arts that I practice. And the first is very simple. You inhale for a count of four seconds. You hold your breath for a count of four seconds. Then you exhale for a count of eight seconds. Hold your breath for four seconds and then repeat. So you're breathing in for four, hold for four, out for eight, hold for four, in for four, hold for four, out for eight, hold for four. And repeat that on a loop. And that will immediately calm you down. And again, this is the type of breathing we practice before we do any kata in the martial arts uh, that I practice. We do all of this breath work beforehand because we are about to engage in a life and death struggle where the stakes are literally that high. And in order to psychologically and physically and emotionally prepare yourself to do something that insane, you breathe. And that's what they taught us. That's how they built it. This is their feudal Japanese method of dealing with PTSD and the reality of bloody warfare. And it worked. And it is available and accessible to everyone. So just breathe. Mm -hmm. The other one I would recommend, and this can be particularly good for those who are more tactile or kinesthetically responsive that might have a hard time visualizing or following the count is you take your hand and you open it out and spread your fingers and you take the opposite index finger of that hand and you run it up your thumb and you inhale you breathe out as you come down your thumb exhale you breathe in as you move up your index finger and out as you move down and you go back and forth tracing your fingers with your opposite index finger and you breathe in and you breathe out according to that movement. And what that does is, one, it physically grounds you in the present moment. It gives you a kinesthetic feedback to your own body, stimulates lightly, releases endorphins, and regulates your breathing. Really, really useful technique for grounding yourself. So, so just to say that you're starting from the wrist... You're going up the back of the thumb yep. and around down into the, the little hollow there and then along the first finger mm -hmm. and then down to the next finger. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All the way down. Okay. The Very the interesting. Side. Yeah. Okay. Really useful technique. Yeah. 
Um, and if people have a hard time visualizing that, we can post images or a video or something somewhere and, and yeah, okay. we can put that in the show notes um, or something. You know, on, on what you were saying as well, like, I mean, you know, you're not just dealing with, uh, when you, when you come off and you've lost, for example, mm -hmm. you're, you're, and you're, you're heightened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So breathing is great. And I agree with you, but by breathing, you're bringing yourself into the present moment. You're also bringing yourself into your own body. And sometimes your body is a minefield, a battlefield because of your expectations, because of what mm -hmm. you have put upon yourself, mm -hmm. that you had to achieve this for whatever reason, this had to be achieved. It wasn't achieved. And now you got to live with yourself. And blah, 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 blah. You know, the mind and, and the emotional body can sometimes be a hard place to live. Um, Very. Yeah. And, and I would just add to that, that, one of the things that I do is I tend to ignore the mental asshole in me <laughs> and I tend to choose to say I'm, I'm grateful for that experience, right? Absolutely. Whether I am or not makes no difference. Whether I'm emotionally destroyed mm. by it makes no difference. I, I mentally say it because I'm trying to get to a place where I'm not battling with myself, Yeah. right? So that's, that's, a, that's a big deal because... Um, Mindfulness is, is fabulous and it's wonderful, but it's a journey. And not everyone at the beginning of that journey, you're, you're actually realize just how much you're battling with yourself in that, you know. So my, my technique is gratitude. Uh, what did I learn? What did I learn from that? And I mentally kind of be there, you know, I'll, I'll be in my body, but I'll be mentally, you know, allowing myself to work out. If I'm not emotionally ready to let go, mm -hmm. uh, I, I sort of have to kind of try and get into my body. Mm -hmm. But you know, in a, in a kind of an easy way. Absolutely. You know, and I have to figure out how to, how to be easy with myself. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. I yeah. do. Um, and there's another really useful, I think, method of, of, of dealing with that. And it comes back to that naming and knowing technique we talked about earlier. Yeah. So the mind and the spirit can be a dangerous battlefield for many, lots of Tengu dancing around in there. Yeah. And we as a society, and I would say so more so perhaps as men, um, men generally don't have the level of emotional intelligence or competency that I have seen in my wife. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Yeah, yeah, they're, just, they're just so far and away beyond, yeah. beyond what I'm capable of. Um, and uh, I often refer to my wife as my social sensei. Because she has taught me so much about dealing with my own emotions. And what I have found is that while I might not have a great deal of emotional intelligence and I had no emotional competency, through the martial arts and through the guidance of my wife, I have learned skills and emotional competency to help me to regulate those feelings and to be aware of those feelings and to understand that it's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel angry. But how do you process and regulate all of that? And it comes back to naming and knowing and being aware and just going, walking off the field, not getting the promotion that you were looking for, not getting the decision that you were hoping for. And dealing with that is hard. And there are specific skills that you can learn from 
these martial arts that apply to that, like the breathing exercise, like naming and knowing things. Um, so I was in litigation. Myself and my wife were in litigation. We were in a high court case for nearly 10 years. Um, really, really intense stuff, really, really heavy stuff. Um, she was horrifically injured and we'd taken out this huge court case, but the, the pressure of that was immense. And the disappointment with the failure of the legal system and the failure of the courts and solicitors and the realization of such epic disappointment was shattering to myself and my wife and how we learned to deal with that and process that a huge amount of of my vehicle for doing that came from understanding the martial arts came from understanding that i have literally faced well one of the things that i come back to is one of my teachers is kaiko ueda sensei she's a hachitan eighth degree black belt in jodo and she's the most terrifying fearsome thing i've ever seen she in is. my life I, I can definitely confirm that yep, yep that's in front of her. she is terrifying and i did all 12 kata with her start to finish of these paired forms where I've got the Joe and she's got the sword and she's straight out trying to kill me. And I survived and I'm alive. And then we flipped and I got to try and kill her and she survived and I'm still alive. And having gone through an experience like that, where I experienced grace and I was allowed to live in a very real sense is a remarkable thing. And people spend years trying to develop this concept of mindfulness. I can tell you how to get there in 30 seconds or less. It's very simple. Have a very, very serious Japanese woman try to kill you. Yeah. Because if there's a sword coming at your head, mm. you don't have time to think about your court case. Yeah. You don't have time to think about your medical problems. Mm. You don't have time to think about your bills, your mortgage, your uh, tax bills. You don't have time to think about anything. You have to be in the present moment and you have to react honestly and authentically or your skull's going to get split. Mm. And boom, you're there and you did it and you survived and you're alive. Holy crap. I survived that. There's nothing. There's nothing that will phase me mm. because I've had that experience. And that is in essence what training in these martial arts teaches you to deal with. It teaches you to deal with the most serious life and death consequences and to survive and to provide grace. And you walked away. So sure, you may have lost that competition, Sure, you may have lost that fight. Sure, you may not have gotten that promotion. Yeah, okay, you, you got fired or you lost your job. You're still alive. You're still alive. There's still another moment. If that goes wrong on the dojo, that's the end of you. And that's all you'll ever be. But you have opportunity to change, to grow, to develop, to process. You have your life. That I can think of no more thing to be grateful for. So maybe that's why I don't respond to that level of stress in competition. It's because I already nearly died 
a hundred times over fighting the Weta Sensei or Lena or any of the other senior grades that I've gone up against and fought and I survived and I lived. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Fighting Tengu. We want you to know that all of the opinions expressed here are our own and do not represent the thoughts, feelings, and ideas of our teachers. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and check out the website fightingtengu.com for articles and help sheets and more information on the subjects discussed here.